0: This insert is brought to you by Radio K Pulpit
1: 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za Sona is an important milestone uh, in South Africa's democracy as it measures from the view of the president the country's political, social, and economic landscape. But has the president overpromised and underdelivered for South Africans? Can we put our faith back in the hands of our president at the words being shared at the Sona 2024? Or has this been what many political parties and analysts have stated, a copy and paste from the last Sona address? Joining us right now, we've got the political commentator, Jamie Mighty, uh, joining us right now live on Zoom. Jamie, firstly, good afternoon to you. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Thank you for your time. Let's get into this one. Um, Before we get into the questions of the Sona, I really just want to get um, your overall thoughts on the president's speech last week, Thursday.
0: Well, I think that the president had a bit of a challenge with this particular speech because it was a sonar which came after he has delivered so many other sonars before. Mm -hmm. And as you run out of runway, uh, your promises become more difficult to repeat Mm -hmm. or to believe. And that's why I felt that he tried to focus more on analogy, to try to um, paint a bigger picture, you know, to look at Mm. a 30-year timeline as opposed to the timeline of his particular administration, which was six years. Mm. So for many people, there would be questions around, okay, if you've been following all of the State of the Nation addresses from 2018 all the way up up until the 2024 one, Mm. there were some challenges there in terms of some of the promises being repeated, uh, specifics being moved away from. At the beginning, uh, in 2018, Mr. Ramaphosa would make very specific promises around things that he thought he could deliver or he wanted to deliver. Mm. But what we've seen um, as his term of office progressed further, he did not make any more specific promises. What we saw was a president who was not willing to say by this date, I will have done this in this particular sonar.
1: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and I mean on that, because you were, Because you were speaking about promises that got made back in 2018. Um, You know, some words also, lots of analogies happening in this year's Sona as well. Now, the president said that they were committed to protect whistleblowers and that the government would not stop until all those who were responsible for the state capture were held accountable and all money stolen were recovered, including from the blue chip companies. What do you make of that statement?
0: Well, the issue around SONA and the promises around state capture in particular are half mm-hmm. because there has been some progress. For instance, KPMG has paid uh, money to the state. We've seen McKinsey pay admission of guilt to the state as well. Mm-hmm. But what the people will be looking at and not seeing are the arrests of ministers who were implicated in the mm-hmm. state, of, uh, state, of, state of capture commission. Several ministers are still serving in the cabinet, even though there was witness testimony that they are particularly involved in uh, the uh, uh, you know state capture in and of itself so for many civilians while there has been some recourse and that these companies have paid particular amounts of money have been frozen what we've seen on the other side of the equation is that um people are not getting recourse in the sense of prosecution of the individuals who are directly involved
1: yeah. Um, and, and then also, just just in terms of corruption now, the DA has gone ahead and filed in the court as well for, the, for Paul Mashatile for the countless amount of accusations that is against him. Uh, we also see things happening with the police minister, Becky Kele. Also, lots of, uh, lots of calls has gone out over the last year, year and a half, maybe two years, um, to ensure that he no longer becomes the minister. Uh, do you think that for some reason... Uh, that the president is just giving these slap on the wrist for these uh, ministers? And and I mean, do, do you have a reason as to why he's doing this and why he's not taking action?
0: Fundamentally, the, the reasons why we haven't seen a lot of recourse mm-hmm. um, in terms of prosecutions for the ministers seems to be political. I don't think that... There's an appetite within the ANC to fragment the ANC further. Mm. And as a result of that, it seems as if those ministers who are still within the administration, even though they were implicated mm. at various stages in the State Capture Commission, have been retained yeah. so that there is no turbulence going to this particular election. And that's one of the of the issues that I think um, becomes... Significant mm. in how the state has dealt with this. So it seems as if there's been a lack of political appetite, yeah. um, as well as political appetite also from the NPA head, uh, mm. Shamila Batoy. But we must remember that sometimes there's a bit of a conflict of interest. When the person who is responsible for prosecutions is directly appointed by the president, Mm. that can create undue pressure. Even if it's not directly said, it could be implicit that you cannot actually go after my guys until I give you the signal. And that perhaps has led to a lack of recourse in that respect. Mm. So I think that when it comes to corruption more broadly outside of state capture, the other issue that exists is people are still seeing corruption yeah they're still seeing uh under delivery of services while taxpayers have paid significant amount of money for the that particular service so that's number one we saw a lot of corruption during COVID-19 yeah as well during the pandemic so whilst mm-hmm. the president did try to blame uh, or use the COVID-19 and the the riots as an excuse mm-hmm. there were still massive corruption scandals. Royal Park was one of those scandals we saw the killing of Babita Dekoran as a result of the amount of graft that she exposed mm. in the Department of Gauteng Health. So, even during the Ramaphosa administration, there have been multiple instances of corruption mm. which are not adequately accounted for or explained yeah. by the idea that everything that was corrupt happened during the state capture period.
1: Yeah. Uh, no, that's so true. Um, Jamie, I just wanted to know. If you were speaking about the timeline at the beginning, based on the things that he still said he's willing to then work on, do you trust that if he continues his stay um, in presidency, that he would actually bring about these changes?
0: I I think that Mr. Ramaphosa has got a significant challenge now that he has been in power for six years. It's going to be very difficult for the audience to believe Mm. that in another period of four years, he's going to be able to deliver what he did not deliver in six years already. Mm. The track record is basically uh, cast in stone. So personally, I don't think that there's very much that he can do going forward that he couldn't do in the six years preceding the challenge that he's going to face moving into the next administration if the ANC can form a coalition government is that he doesn't have another term of office mm. so what that makes you is a lame duck president and in certain terms especially towards the end you see a decline in power and influence of a president because people no longer are afraid of you because you're not going to be appointing the next ministers. So the conversation will shift away from him to the question of who's next. And as we've seen with the African National Congress um, the last two presidents haven 't finished their terms of office because of the internal party dynamics
1: yeah mm. and and and, and that 's an important one because we see the the house fighting that is taking place now. One of the things or rather one of the appointments that has been widely criticized was the appointment of an electricity minister right so i mean this has been widely criticized at the time that this was being, that this was being announced now do you think that appointing an electricity minister has really helped the load shedding situation that we are currently faced with?
0: No, at the time when the electricity minister was appointed, it seemed to me to be a gimmick. And I said as much last mm-hmm. year because the challenges that are happening um, at Eskom have to deal with the lack of capacitation of engineers mm. have to deal with a uh, lack of political will and have to deal with conflicting ideology about how to deal with the load shedding crisis. So one group within the cabinet believes in IPPs, which is independent power producers. And we've seen that group uh, advocate for that. But another group actually believes in resuscitating the coal power plants. And there's an impasse between these two groups, and it's not helping. So last year, the president needed to announce something that would buy him some time. Okay. He announced an, an electricity minister, But now we are all beginning to see, I mean, just uh, in the last two days, there's Mm. been 23 hours of load shedding and there's basically load shedding every three hours now. Mm. So it's significant that um, the failures of the electricity minister are now becoming evident to everyone. And it's significant for us to note that as well, that there is this ideological clash within the ANC about how do you resolve this issue? And I think it will continue to be something that hounds the president because it's unresolved. And what we've seen now is that even though they are going back to the public saying that we can fix the energy crisis mm. they are no longer making a commitment on when they're yeah. going to fix the energy crisis because they have made so many promises even last year saying you know by december it will be finished mm. for people to now be in february in stage six load shedding
1: yeah um and then jamie just as we come to close here as well now you know as a as a political commentator and when you have a look at the at the political parties and the political landscape within South Africa uh, you know big parties small parties i mean new parties being formed all the time uh, just in terms of us as citizens what type of of political party do you think we should be looking out for mm. you know come the election you know closer to the end of the year if, if we want some real change what are some of the guidelines that we should be looking for to say you know what this is cup, the type yeah. of things i'm looking for within a political party when voting
0: so i think there's two things that everyone needs to be honest about themselves and everyone has to vote selfishly mm. you have to identify the issues that are most important to you and to your family. For yep. for instance, mm. some people are very concerned about security because they live in violent neighborhoods. Mm. Some people are very concerned about the quality of schooling provided in their neighborhoods. I've met people who've had to move provinces to try to get a better school for their child so that yep. their child can have better prospects than the, the prospects that they have. Mm. So if you have concerns about healthcare because you're not feeling well, if you have concerns about security because your neighborhood is not safe, mm. if you have concerns about the quality of education because your children are not likely to get good education, those are issues issues that you as a family have to identify and prioritize and then the second level that you have to measure is what are the track records of the particular leaders who are contesting for power in respect to those particular things Mm. so if you have leaders who have no experience with education Mm. but your biggest issue is education um it, it doesn't seem logical that they will be able to deliver or advocate for your interests and then the last thing you'd have to do is go and read their manifestos Firstly, to see if those manifestos are well-researched, to see if those manifestos are presented coherently. You know, if a political party doesn't have a functional website, perhaps the political party is not ready for the National Assembly and they have to, you know, do their homework, so to speak. So you have to think about all of those things before you even think about your feelings Mm. about particular issues. You have to work through what affects you on a day-to-day basis, because sometimes what happens is that the rhetoric of politics, the performance of politics supersedes, even historic attage- Attachment supersedes mm-hmm. lived realities. Human beings, I think, are best served by democracy when they vote based on selfish interests, because what that does is it makes those politicians serve those particular interests. You should not sacrifice the problems that you face on a day-to-day basis, because of a bigger issue. You should make sure that the politicians are channeling their ideas, track records towards your lived experiences Mm. your vote is supposed to be a reflection of your interests and Mm. not necessarily anybody else's and then what we do in the system is we pull those together and then we see who has been chosen by the people
1: Mm. okay sure Jamie mighty thank you so much for your time this is certainly not the last time that we will be having on the show and be chatting some more things um around the politics i know there's much more that's going to be happening this year Uh, and of course it's going to be quite interesting to get your views and opinions on that Mm. but for now thank you for your time and hope you're going to have a liquor week thank
0: you so much k Pulpit. Uh, till the next time
1: awesome. awesome thank you so much that was jamie mighty uh joining us he, he's a political uh commentator sharing uh, his thoughts on the sona speech coming from the president which of course took place last week and thursday this insert was
0: brought to you by radio k pulpit 7 to 9 a.m please visit kpulpit.co.za.